0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Something Blue by Anita Kay, specializing in wedding and event photography. Visit her page on Facebook. For those in love, capture those memories with Something Blue by Anita Kay. This is Unbridled Enthusiasm Podcast with Mark Poulos so fuck you and fuck your baby and fuck your <laughs> wife and why, 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 and, why and, fuck them all have headphones? we're recording at a barbecue gas station
1: we're not pausing this to put a baby in there so, <laughs> uh, so you can just stop it right
0: you're half drunk and high oh, and right. trying to read a map all right, here
1: we go. we're literally we're on, the edge. <laughs> we're on the edge of the grand canyon that's
0: my whole job when I'm on the road
1: is protecting my butt stoner and the fat man he says man you really need to turn your life around. Fuck you, Mark. Mark Poulos, is <laughs>
0: oh, yeah. Hello, folks, and welcome back to the Unbridled Enthusiasm podcast. I'm your host, Mark Poulos, as always. It's good to be back today on the uh, podcast. I'm going to uh, be speaking of a topic that uh, might be foreign to some of my listeners, friends, and family. I'm actually going to talk about people in the comedy business that I don't like. And I know it's hard to envision me not liking somebody. That's not my personality. uh, I'm a pretty forgiving person, and I don't really get angry that often. Um, But when people piss me off, uh, it's, it's hard for me to hold it back. Cause I'm just, you know, you have to do an amazing amount of shit to me to make me get to that point where I want to just write you off out of my life. So I think I've covered a few of these stories in different podcasts, um, like the celebrity podcast and other things of that nature, but, uh, I'm sure there's a few stories in here I've never covered before, um. So it's, it's actually a pretty short list. There's only a handful of people that uh, have really screwed with me to the point that made me angry. <laughs> and the first douchebag I'm going to talk about is this guy, Michael Loftus. I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's a comedian from L.A. Um, he's on uh, that True TV funniest moments show. And I think for a very brief time, he had his own show on Discovery. I don't know if it's still going or not, but it was, like, a show where, um, or I think it was on history. So basically they'd take, like, a historical event like World War II or the Hindenburg disaster or something like that, and he'd do, like, a whole set on history. So I didn't see it. I heard it sucked, and they deleted it. I don't know for sure. So I met this guy in uh, Crackers Comedy Club in Broad Ripple, Indiana. And uh, funny enough, this story actually is the reason why I don't work at Crackers anymore. Um, So I met this guy on Wednesday. Seemed like a fine guy. Everything was cool. The next morning, uh, we both went to Bob and Tom the national radio show to be on there and they had him on first and then they brought me into the uh, studio and i think right then is when we started having uh some problems because he uh as soon as i got into the into the studio and people started chatting with me um they kind of lost focus of him and then he tried to interject a couple times and the stuff that he was saying wasn't really funny He did some kind of thing about how if the national debt were dollar bills that they'd stretch around the earth like four million times or something like that. And uh, (laughs) everybody just kind of stopped for a second and was like, okay, like great. So I think that's when our problems started. And then uh, that night at the comedy club, we both pitched our merchandise he was selling a dvd and i was selling t-shirts and after the show i outsold him like a hundred to one it was like crazy like people would tell him how much they enjoyed his show and then they'd step over to my table and buy a shit ton of t-shirts so then friday um he didn't even pitch his dvds he just sat in the green room after both shows and i sold a bunch of t-shirts So I didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe he was just like, you know, screw it. I'm not going to be able to sell anything with this guy selling so many T-shirts, so I'm just going to give up or something. So then Saturday comes around, and I come in, and they they tell me, uh, oh, both shows are sold out. And I was like, oh, man, that's pretty cool. So I go in the green room, and the manager comes in, and he goes, hey, I've got some bad news for you. Um, You're not going to be able to sell T-shirts tonight. And I said, wait, what? And he said, yeah, the, the word came down from above um, and you can't sell your t-shirts tonight. And I was like, who said that? And he goes, well, I'm not going to get into that, but uh, you can't sell your t-shirts. So I was like, obviously fucking pissed off because the amount of money I was making for featuring at that club was like three or $400. So selling t-shirts was pretty much the only way I was going to make my bills. So this guy comes in, this Michael Loftus guy, and he's bebopping and scatting in the green room, and I'm just sitting there like ready to put my fist through the lamp. And he's like, "Whoa, buddy, you look uh, you look kind of upset. What's going on?" And I said, "Well, I was just told that I can't sell my t-shirts." And he goes, "Yeah, well, I got to make my money too. Beat up, up, pop up." And then he walked out of the green room, and I was like, "What a fucking dick!" Like he was the one that said I can't do this. So I went to the, uh, the, the owner and I was like, did you back this? And she was like, well, yeah, he's the headliner so he can do whatever he wants. And I was like, at the time my dad was sick and like, uh, I wasn't touring as much. And this was like my one weekend in the month to like make my money to pay my bills. So I told her that and she was like, you know, and she's kind of a, uh, I don't want to say any bad words, but (laughs) she's a real mitch. And she goes, "Ah, we've all got a sad story, don't we? And I was like, oh, God. So I came back out, and I didn't want to have anything to do with him. He kept trying to, like, buddy up to me, and I kept walking away from him, and he kept buddying up to me. And then finally he was like, why are you so upset? And I was like, I don't understand how you don't understand why I'm so upset. And then I laid out my whole story to him. And he was like, well, we'll, we'll see how early show goes and maybe you can sell late show. And I go, it doesn't matter. I go, if I don't get to sell early show Saturday, like the week is kind of a waste as far as merchandising goes. Cause Saturday early show it's always sold out or close to sold out. And those are the people that have, they're going out money in their pockets. So I just kind of left early and then, uh, I sent him an email on Facebook basically calling him a douchebag, and then I blocked him. So he's one Nimrod, if I see out on the road, I, I steer clear of because uh, I don't really have any interest in, in dealing with him anymore. Early on in my career, I don't know if i told this story before, but um, so I got booked through a Comedy Zone to do a weekend in Fayetteville, Arkansas. it was like the furthest I'd ever driven away from home to do stand-up, so it was kind of a big deal. And it was Arkansas, and of course I'd never been to Arkansas before, so I had all these kind of conceptual ideas of what Arkansas is and the backwoods and everything, and thinking like my silly Minnesota comedy isn't going to work down there. So I get a call from a guy a couple days before the trip, and his name was Artie Fletcher, and he lived out in New York, and he was the headliner, and uh, he starts kind of BSing me with all this shit that he's got like uh, a sponsorship deal through Smirnoff and they actually pay for all of ex- his expenses. He's got this Smirnoff credit card that he just puts everything on and then they pay it off and it's a pretty sweet deal and all the shit. And, you know, he's like, if you come pick me up at the airport and then at the end of the week, if you could drive me from Fayetteville to Little Rock. Um, I'll cover all the gas and all your expenses, all your meals and everything on this credit card. So I was like, "Wow, what a fucking sweet deal!" And if you don't know, Fayetteville to Little Rock's like three and a half hours, so that's a pretty big undertaking to drive him to Little Rock. So I get to Fayetteville and and I wait for the plane to come in and I pick him up. And his first words he gets in the car is he goes, "Man, I feel so bad, but I forgot the credit card, so we're gonna have to split everything 50. And if there was a camera on my face, uh, that would have been a priceless picture because I was fucking dumbfounded. And still, I was giving him the benefit of doubt, like, maybe he did forget it, you know. Well, shit happens, you know. So we go and do the week, and uh, it's getting towards the end of the weekend. And in my head, I'm like, well, he doesn't have the credit card, and I can't afford to drive him to Little Rock, so I just assumed he'd made other plans, so he starts talking Saturday night about uh, what time we want to leave for Little Rock on Sunday. And I was like, I can't drive you to Little Rock. And he just starts flipping out on at me. And he's like, I've got no other way to get there. What the hell, man? And I go, well, what do you want me to do? Like, you know, he was a named act from New York. He was probably making like 1200 bucks for the weekend. I was getting $325 for featuring there. And I wasn't selling anything at the time. So that was my, the only money and i said well are you gonna pay for the gas to little rock and my gas back from little rock and he's like yeah who do you think i am of course i'll pay for that and i'm like all right so then he's on the ride he's he called both clubs and he got me guest spots at both clubs so i was like well that's kind of cool so then we got to the city and we got to his hotel room and uh we stayed the first we stayed the one night in his hotel room um because it was sunday and then there wasn't going to be any shows at the club until monday night it was both the open mic nights at, or it was like monday was the open mic night at the funny bone and then tuesday was the open mic night at the Looney bin down there so i i got to do both sets so tuesday i was about to leave and he still hadn't given me any money for anything like i paid for everything i mean he paid for his own food but I paid for all the gas and everything. So I was like, well, I guess I'm going to head out. And he goes, oh, yeah, man, it was a pleasure working with you. Take care. And I go, you want to give me my money? And he's like, oh, what's that? What's what money? And I was like, oh, you piece of shit. I'm like, you know exactly what fucking money I'm talking about. And he's like, "Oh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, for the gas, right? And I go, yeah for the fucking gas and he goes man why are you pissed off and i go just give me my money so i can get out of here and just to give you a little background on this guy like staying in a hotel room with him was like the grossest thing i've ever had to do like he laid around in his underwear and like just chain smoked cigarettes and like drank mountain dews and and just like bag after bag of fast food laying all over his bed i'm just like get me the fuck out of here so he's like uh how much money are we talking here and i'm like i go the gas uh so far has been uh 120 dollars. and he goes you want me to give you 120 dollars? i go if you get anywhere in the ballpark i don't fucking care i'm like just give me something So this fucking guy gives me $80, and he was asking for change, and I was like, fuck off, and I left. I was like, God, that guy was such a knob. And then I heard, I was listening to Opie and Anthony, and they were talking about, um, they were talking about this guy, because I guess Jim Florentine knows him, or he's a good friend with him, and uh, I guess he's just a notorious bullshitter about all this stuff he's got going on, and it's never going on, and It's just ridiculous. Um, So the next guy that I don't really get along with that well is Jimmy J.J. Walker. And I've talked about it before. He's just kind of a knob and he's a little standoffish and he doesn't let you sell your merchandise. And, you know, that's pretty much my only problem with J.J. Walker. Um, But uh, there was another L.A. guy that I worked with um, that we just we did not get along from the get go so he was a comic music, uh, comic uh, magician. I think his name was Jeffrey Steele. I don't know if he even does it anymore. But So he was flying into Omaha, and I had to pick him up, and we were going to do gigs in uh, Kearney and North Platte and then come back to Sioux City. And this fucking idiot. So he buys his round-trip ticket from L.A. and flies into Omaha so I can pick him up, but he doesn't fix the ticket, so he's going to fly out of Sioux City he just bought a round trip ticket to Omaha. So I didn't know this, but keep that in mind as the story goes on. So I have to get up at three in the morning to get to Omaha to pick this guy up at the airport and get him to North Platte. So I pick him up. We meet each other. It's cordial, whatever. And this is February too, by the way. So it's ass cold outside. So he gets in the car and we start driving and we get about an hour outside of Omaha and I fall asleep while I'm driving and he wakes me up and he's like, whoa, dude, are you all right? And I was like, oh my God, I'm so tired. I'm like, is there any way that you can take over driving for like an hour or two so I can get a cat nap? And he's like, oh yeah, man, absolutely, no problem. So at this time I'm driving... uh, my hyundai hyundai uh um uh accent hatchback so it's just a piece of shit car and uh so i conk out in the passenger seat and i wake up and this is what i wake up to i wake up to the entire windshield frosted over like you can't hardly ever see out the front windshield Uh, the side windows are all frosted up and we are fucking flying down the highway, and I kind of like shook the sleep off my eyes, and I looked at the speedometer, and he was doing 110 miles an hour in my Hyundai accent, and I was like, "Whoa, what are we doing here?" And he goes, "Oh, I thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd catch up on some time here," and I was like, "Pull over, I'm taking over," and he goes, "Yeah, by the way, your windows are all fucked up," and I looked. And he had turned the defroster to just feet. And I said, well, you've got this thing on just feet. And he goes, yeah, my, f- my fucking feet are freezing. And I go, well, you know, usually people will take safety over the coldness of their feet, but that's just me. So we pull over, switch seats, and I turn the defroster back on. And like 20 minutes later, he's like, can I click this down back to the feet thing, man? I am freezing. And I go, No. I need it up there so it keeps the window defrosted so I can see where the fuck we're going. And he was like, oh, all right, all right. So we do some of the gigs, and he was like a total knob the whole time. And when we'd go out to meals, like he wouldn't eat at any fast food restaurants. Like If it was meal time, we had to go to a sit-down restaurant like Chili's or Applebee's or Friday's or something like that. And at the time, like, I was just a feature act. I didn't have that much money. And I'm like, I can't be paying, like, $14 a meal every time we sit down. Um, But he didn't have a car, so I had to drive him around everywhere. And he was, like, one of these fitness, like, bodybuilder type of guys. So he had to eat, like, nine times a day. And I'm like, this is just fucking ridiculous. So we'd, like, sit down at Chili's or whatever. They hand him the menu. And he was this fucking guy, like, oh, I don't need that menu. I'm going to tell you what I need and you can just bring that to me and the waitress's face every time which is priceless i need two thinly grilled chicken breasts i need some spinach i need some man. i'm like oh my god dude get me away from this fucking guy so the caveat to the whole thing the crowning moment of this entire trip with this nom knocker is saturday night we're getting finished up in sioux city and i said uh Uh, I said, well, what, what time do you need a, or I said something like, oh, I'm sure the club is, is taking care of getting you to the airport in the morning. I said, it was a pleasure working with you. And he's like, no, no, you're taking me to the airport. And I turned to the owner and I go, why am I taking him to the airport? And he goes, well, he's flying out of Omaha. So I just figured you could drop him off on your way home. And I'm like, has anybody looked at a fucking map like Sioux City?" And Omaha is nowhere near on the way from Sioux City back to Minneapolis, and I tried to explain that to him. I was like, "Well, what is it? Like fifty miles out of your way?" And I'm like, "Yeah, it's fucking fifty miles out of my way. What the hell are you talking about?" So they, uh, I think they threw me like an extra fifty bucks to take him to the airport or something. But still, so we get that straightened out, and I'm like, "What time? Uh, what time do you need?" what time's your flight or whatever and he goes well it's 6 a.m and i was like go fuck yourself (laughs) so i had to get up at 3 a.m take him to the airport i literally like got up at three took him to the airport drove back to sioux city and went to bed till checkout at noon i was like forget this but he was another just real character but uh i'm trying to think of the other guy because uh It was just, like, a real awkward situation with... uh, Because, you know, maybe it's just me, but a lot of my angst and anger towards other comedians comes out of the whole merchandising thing. And I think there's a lot of... There's a lot of fighting and, and, and all that shit with selling stuff because, you know, people see how much like comedians see how much money there is to be made selling things after the show and sometimes you're just not a, as good of an idea maker as the next person or the other person's a better comedian or they have a a better catchy bit that people want to buy the shirt for or whatever but most of the times I find it to be like a good experience if both the guys are out there selling together because it seems like it sells more things. but some of these guys are so territorial over selling merchandise after the show and they don't want to give up a penny of the money that they're gonna selling, even though like I know the arguments on both sides, like the argument for us is we're not making much money on the week, so selling stuff's the only way we can make ends meet. But for them, they're like, well, all of these people are here because of me. And you're kind of like shirt tailing off of me selling your shit because they're here for me. And I get both sides of it. But it's like, if you're making $5,000 and the guy opening for you is making $500, like, give him a fucking break. Let him sell some shit. Like, whatever. But uh, I'd say the most awkward scenarios are when, uh, when you're staying in the same place, like a house or... Uh, an apartment or something that the comedy clubs put together and there's like this butting of heads over merchandise and you have to stay in the same condo together that just it gets even worse (laughs) but uh, uh, I think lastly I'll talk about um, you know I say in the past like she was the person that I have had the biggest problem with and I don't think it's there anymore. You know, you'll see from the story. But uh, so obviously, I'm talking about Lisa Lampinelli, and if you've heard the story before, I apologize for going through it again. But it's such a funny, long story that's got such a great beginning, middle, and end to it that it's it could possibly be my best like comedy story that I have. So I think it was back in like 2004. I got booked to do a club in uh, Rochester, New York. Um, Called comics And uh, I was opening for Lisa Lampanelli And this was before She was really f- Like people knew her But they didn't know her Like they know her now So I showed up there And I saw her poster And I was like Oh whatever And at the time I was playing funny songs On the guitar And I was selling funny shirts And all that shit So I got to the club early and set my guitar up Did the sound check And everything Got my shirts on stage and then I see this lady come in and she kind of looks like the lady on the poster, but it's like night and day. Like the poster was probably taken like 10 years ago and this lady does not look like the poster. So um, she's walking around putting flyers on all the tables and I, I didn't really take it upon myself to go introduce myself because I didn't want to interrupt her. And she saw my guitar and she saw the funny shirts and then she immediately went into the office and like moments after that, the guy waved me into the office to tell me that I wasn't going to be selling shirts that week. I had to put the guitar back in my car. And I needed to work uh, PG rated. Like I couldn't be any filthier than PG. And obviously I was pissed off right away. I'm like, why the, why the hell would I want to meet this woman that just cut my legs off? You know. So I just steered clear of her. I did my job. I wouldn't even watch her set and stuff. I was just like upset the whole time. So every show, I was kind of overshadowing her because they had me going so clean, and uh, I I can still be really funny, clean without the language of the uh, the sexual overtones or whatever. So it's kind of like a shocking dichotomy because like I would go up there and do my thing, and then she would go up there and she'd have a little trouble because she comes right out of the gate. Where's my ladies who like to suck black cock and suck the semen and like whoa? People were taken aback every time, and it would take her, like, 20 minutes to kind of get them going. So I came in Thursday, and I had been doing 15 minutes. So I come in Tuesday, and now I'm doing 10 minutes, which is the uh, same amount of time that the MC is doing. So I was like, wow, this is kind of weird, but whatever. So then I come in Friday early show, and, uh, and the guy tells me I'm doing five minutes. And I was like, okay, so the MC's doing 10, I'm doing 5? And he goes, yeah, we got two shows, we got to cut some people back. I'm like, fuck off, that's that's not what's happening. So every show I was starting out with the same joke. It was a joke I used to start out my show with every time. It was on my first comedy CD. And I would basically say, like, uh, where are my Jack Daniels drinkers? And people would go, you know, there would always be, like, two or three guys that would be like yeah and i'd be like two guys huh i guess everybody else is home with bracelets on their ankles like they're on home home arrest did that joke every night to open my show so i do that show uh friday and i start getting all the lights and everything from the back of the room like get off the stage and i was like what the hell is going on and then I, the MC like crawled up on the stairs next to me, and he's like, wrap up and get off stage. And I was like, wow, okay. So I did one more joke, and then I got off stage, and they pulled me right into the office. And the guy's like, I got to fire you. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he goes, uh, Lisa's pretty concerned that, that you just did one of her jokes up there to kind of stick it to her. And I was like, what are you talking about? And uh, he goes, he said that she has a joke talking about people being on home arrest. And I had no idea because I hadn't watched her the whole week. And I was like, I go, the joke that I do, it's on my first CD. I can pull it up and you can listen to it if you want. And he goes, uh, he goes. yeah, we're going to have to figure out what we're going to do here. So he's like, if you could go back to the condo and uh, we'll give you a call or whatever. So I thought it was weird, but I was like, whatever. So I drove back over to the condo, which was across the parking lot. And I sat there for a bit, and I was trying to call the booker because I knew they were going to try to fuck me. And after, like, 20 minutes, I was like, screw it. And I drove back to the club, and I I grabbed the manager, and I'm like, listen, I'm not going to just sit over there while you guys wait to fire me and not pay me. So I'm like, let's just get this over with right now. So we went in the office, and we called up the owner, And he's immediately on the offensive. He's like, "You didn't do that joke. You didn't do. You didn't do ankle bracelet. Just a fucker. You didn't do that." And I was like, "No, I don't know what you're talking about." And he goes, "Well, be that as it may, you've been kind of a dick to her all week. You won't talk to her. You're all sulking like a baby because you can't sell your merchandise." And I was like, "Whatever, dude." I go, "Just pay me my money so I can get out of here." And he's like well, you only did uh, two and a half shows, so that's half the money. And I'm like, listen, if you're going to fire me, I'm getting my whole check. So write out my whole check. So they finally agreed me to give me my whole check, and then I asked the guy, I go, well, it was a nice meeting, I guess I'll never see you again. And he goes, no, we love your comedy, and uh, we want to bring you back in three months with Jimmy Schubert. It kind of, like, blew my mind. I was like, what the fuck? So I came back a couple months later, and I opened for Jimmy Schubert. And they told him what had happened. And uh, the same show I got fired the last time I came off stage, and he goes, you're fired. And I said, what? And he goes, you did a joke about unicorns, and unicorns are my shit. And I was like, what? It was all a joke, but it was kind of funny. But So for years, I would badmouth her about that situation because it was the only time... That I've ever done stand-up comedy That I've been fired From a comedy club And it stuck with me because Like since then I've never been Fired from a gig And Never got reprimanded or anything I'm like it's just so stupid So Years later I was working in Tucson uh, Opening for this guy uh, I think his name was Uh eric kelly or something he was from los angeles very soft-spoken like kind of stephen wright-ish comedian so we got to the club that night in tucson the laughs comedy club in tucson it's a rowdy place they like their jokes loud they like them animated and they like them filthy so this guy was like behind the eight ball from the beginning um so we did the first show and he walked like half the audience and then we did the late show and he walked almost the entire audience so i went back to my room and i got a call early in the morning the next day and the guy was like uh he goes we're gonna have to fire eric and we're gonna make you the headliner so i was like wow that's crazy so then uh Went downstairs and went to the club, and people were like congratulating me about getting this guy fired, and I was like, "No, I don't think it's that kind of situation." I'm a, don't congratulate me like I've been fired off of a week before, and it's definitely not the best feeling. So I would I started telling them the Lisa Lampanelli story, and they were all laughing. So a couple of minutes later, the owner comes over to me and he goes, "Hey, buddy," he goes, "I hope you brought your A game tonight because Lisa Lampinelli's coming in to watch you." and everybody just burst out laughing and he had kind of a confused face and he goes what what's the joke did i miss something here and i was like i go you got to be kidding me you didn't hear the story i just told and he goes no so i tell him the story and his eyes just keep getting wider and wider and he goes dude he goes i'm not fucking with you he goes she's in town doing something and she just thought it would be cool to like come in and watch like a club show And I told her who was headlining, and she said, Oh, cool. I'll come in and see the show. And I was like, God, this has got to be some kind of punked situation. So I did my set, and it went really well. And I was out there selling my shit, and she came out with her, I think it was her fiance and a couple friends. And she said, You know, I just, I got to say, she goes, I don't usually like, you know, the standard road like club comic. I think they're kind of like, you know hacky and and not good writers she's like but i think that you are very funny and a very good writer and i just wanted to tell you that and in my brain i was like seconds away from being like do you remember me do you remember me i was a guy you fired you fucking crazy but uh like just before the words came out of my mouth the owner of the club came over and started chatting her up about uh possibly doing like some kind of special event show over the summer or something so i just decided at that point like eh, i don't think it's worth it you know i got what i needed from her was like validation that she was kind of an idiot and made the wrong call years back but you know it was kind of cool to have closure on that and and let it go but uh truthfully like over the span of my career and the comedians that I've worked with literally just had a handful of problems with a few people and sometimes it's just different personalities and especially when you have to spend like 10 to 12 hours in the car with somebody like you could do that with your wife or your children and you're ready to strangle them at the next rest area so just imagine two two alpha personalities you know, getting into the car together and driving 12 hours somewhere, trying to one, a, one up each other with their accomplishments and everything. By the time you get there, you know, they're either best friends or ready to uh, beat the shit out of each other at a flying J. So that's comedy, though. That's comedy. I appreciate you guys still tuning into this podcast. I love doing it, so I'm going to keep doing it as long as the numbers are there. And uh, get it at iTunes, tuned in, Stitcher. Podbean, it's everywhere. And uh, yeah, check out my website. Just updated new dates for the summer and fall, largedrunkman.com. And tune in next time when we talk about who knows.
1: Thank you very much, Jeff Ross, clap for that ugly. F- look at that head. But don't worry, Jeff, you're in good company. This is the most hideous dais on the planet. Danny Bonaduce, Carrot Top, Ralphie May. You know the dais is ugly when Jim Norton's hired as eye candy. Don't you laugh, Gene Simmons. You're nothing to look at. I mean, how did you come up with that hairstyle, genius? Did you catch Planet of the Apes on cable and go, hey? Now there's a look. Don't you laugh, Carrot Top. You've got big muscles and a crappy act. You're a bad haircut away from being Joe Piscopo. Oh. Ralphie May, you fat bastard. I'm very happy to report that Ralphie May just became the father of a beautiful baby girl. two of them have a lot in common. Neither one of them can wipe their own ass. <laughs> but enough about this colossal failure. <laughs> Danny Bonaducci is here. Danny. He's the only person here who was in a good band. <laughs> John Heffron. John friend let me pause just long enough so all you people can look him up on wikipedia (laughs) seriously john i've seen your act your comedy is horrible oh how does anyone this mediocre get to stay in the business seriously ralphie may how does that happen (laughs) back to our guest of honor gene simmons gene simmons is a huge star He's proof that if you persevere long enough, good things can happen to you in this business. Of course, Craig Gass is proof they might not. (laughs) I was actually surprised to see Craig Gass here tonight. I guess that means Frank Caliendo said no. Steve O was here. You know, in researching Steve O, I read that he's from jolly old England. Sadly, that means he can't be our next president. Well, that, and the fact that he's retarded. Steve-O is famous for crazy stunts like stapling his nuts to his thighs. Nuts to his thighs, wow. That's almost as painful as listening to a Gene Simmons solo album. Back to the man of the hour, Gene Simmons. Please, no. Gene Simmons is a legend! He slept with more than 5,000 women. It's true. I saw the Polaroids. Gene has more photos of old weathered crevices than Ansel Adams. (laughs) I joke with Gene. Gene has written such brilliant lyrics as, Plaster caster. Grab a hold of me faster and you're such a jewel in the rough, you want to show me your stuff. Wow. Thanks, Bono. In closing, Gene, I would like to thank you for letting me make fun of you today. I'd like to be sincere and say something from the heart. This is difficult because what do you call a man? Who is a true rock and roll icon? What do you call a man whose songs will live forever in the hearts of millions of fans? What do you call a man who has inspired countless young people to pursue their dream of making a difference in the world? You call that man John Lennon. But he's dead. And all we have is this untalented windbag. So, um... Hmm. Nice tongue, Jean. Thank you. Good night. Thank you.